Today's sponsor is Sneakers, a DC DMV sports apparel company. Go check out their very cool designs at sneekis.com. Hoodies, t-shirts, hats, and at checkout, enter Pixel and Roll and get 10% off your order. Also, in the process, you help support independent media. So go do it. Thanks a lot. And now, it's the Pixel and Roll Show with Adam McGinnis. Welcome to another edition of the Pixel Roll Show. We discuss our favorite basketball team, your Washington Wizards. Hello, everyone. This is Adam McGinnis. It is January 7th, 2017. Happy, happy new year, everyone. Hopefully, your New Year's resolutions are going well. My list is very lengthy. I'm going to stop drinking, join CrossFit, get married, have kids, climb mountains, limit my judging, stop effing swearing, and getting upset about sports, bake more, maybe take up knitting, and Snapchat less. Uh, No, I'm not going to do any of those things. But good luck for your unrealistic goals, and hopefully you meet them in the year 2017. You know when people preface a conversation with not trying to be mean, and then they end up being mean right after, hey, not trying to be an asshole, but then they're an asshole. Not trying to be sad, but I'm going to make you sad. My grandma passed away a few days ago. She was 91 helped raise me a very instrumental person in my life, the kind of soul that I've ever known. And it's been a tough few weeks here for my family. And I was going to ignore this aspect of my personal life because it's not really relevant to a Washington Wizards podcast, but I feel an attachment to everyone that listens to the show. I've been doing it for almost a year and a half. And I'm sure most of you that listen on a regular basis feel like you kind of know me personally, even though we haven't had a chance to meet. And so I just want to let everyone know that that has been happening And, you know, dying sucks, but also you have all these warm, fuzzy feelings that come back with you. And on the show today, uh, Rashad Mobley joined me, and I did not tell him about my grandma's passing because I was going to try to get through the show without crying, and I was able to do that. And I'm able to do this intro currently without getting sad because these outlets of sports uh, help you with those things, even though most of the time I'm just ranting about how the Wizards uh, are depressing us all. Rashad joined me. We discussed the Wizards over the past few weeks, uh, holiday season, where they had a bunch of good positive games, had some hiccups there in Texas. Good episode. I think everyone will enjoy. We get into all the games, uh, analyze here and there, talked about John Wall's like low all-star voting, uh, getting into a funny thing at the end with uh, The Bachelor. I think people will enjoy that if you stay to the end, especially Rashad's wife. Uh, so this is my conversation 
with Rashad Mobley. And thank you, everyone, uh, for listening. Why I continually do this show. Enjoy. With me today, my co-host, the Dak Prescott to Tony Ro- Kyle's Tony Romo, Mr. Rashad Mobley. Rashad, how are you? Pretty good. I don't appreciate the Cowboys reference as an Eagles fan, but I'll allow it this time. Well, well, there's there's a racial joke in there as well. I don't know if you caught that. And then also uh, a Mississippi State joke. I'm kind of needling Kyle, too. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kyle, Kyle's a huge Mississippi State fan. And now Deck Prescott, who is probably one of his favorite players in Mississippi State of all time for football, is now uh, the quarterback of, his, of, of a hated team of his. Happy New Year, buddy. What's the word? How's the, how's the fam? Family's good. The kid is in bed. The wife is occupied watching The Bachelor. I mean, not The Bachelor. The Notebook, which is a lateral move. So the no, the Notebook? Yeah. Is there like a TNT? I don't know. I tried to know to learn as little about it as possible. Dude, I had a I had an ex-girlfriend back back in the day-day, and I, she made me watch The Notebook with her. And, you know, everyone cries and stuff, and... <laughs> You know, I'm emotional here and there. I'm not sappy, sappy, but you know, I'll shed some tears on on some something. You know, I'll get a little, little, little teary eyed. Man, that movie, I could not stand that movie, man. I, I could not, I could not be sad. It's garbage, <laughs> it, man. It's garbage. It was, I, it was, it was it so well. sappy that I couldn't even be sad. I was like, you're. Anyway, it, so she just that, so that's what you're dealing with in the home front, huh? How, Pretty much. How was Santa? Santa, how's the credit cards? <laughs> Santa, Santa was very generous, although we, we, I tell people they can't come through on Christmas. They can defer it until my birthday, which is January 20th, which, you know, a lot of people won't be happy on that day, but I sure as hell will. So, Your birthday is January 20th? I did not yes, know it is. Oh. Yes, it is. Wow. Yeah. I, I, that's for another podcast. I, I, I'll probably go off, <laughs> I'll go off on a rant here in two weeks when that, when that happens. But but uh, your, your little guy turned turned five? Big birthday party to tell the people. Uh, Niles turned the big Cinco. How, how was yeah, the bash? He, he turned five. There was a party at Magic Ground, which is basically an indoor playground from hell. Uh, <laughs> the party was excellent. You know, we had ice that morning, so we didn't have the turnout we expected, but he had a good time. And it was unlimited present palooza from the party to Christmas. So he's, he's great. What was the, what was the worst present that someone gave your, your son? <laughs> uh, the one that I got, thinking that I could, I saw the train set and I picked it out, and then I saw that it had 126 pieces, and I said, "Hell no, taking that back." <laughs> yeah, I was, I was with my my niece got this Sophia dollhouse that me and uh, my brother-in-law helped put together. Actually, he put it mostly together. I just Snapchatted him uh, putting it together. And it had an elevator. It was going up. And I was like, oh, man, this took forever. And I had to take the little dolls out of the packages and put them all around. And and then my my other cousin did this whole car set for his his boy. And then uh, he had to take it back. So there was, like, missing some piece or something. So he had to redo it all over again. I was like, oh, my God. That's, like, the worst thing ever. Uh, but, yeah, Santa was good. Uh, New Year's? New Year's. I just how, was the hang- how was the hangover? Decent. It was. It was mild. Um, I had a game plan going into it. Um, how I was keep hydrated. Keep hydrated. <laughs> keep hydrated. I stayed with wine. Um, but the party I was with kept taking shots, and then I switched to champagne. So that, the hangover was mild. Uh, but I, you know, I was, I was fine. I was fine. 
Yeah, sh- what kind of shots? Like Patron or something? Crown Royal Black. Crown, which is Crown not, shots? <laughs> Shit. Yeah, I usually stay in my little wine lane, so that that was that was a shock to my little system. Uh, but you know, it was it was it was good. Did 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 uh. The reality of the break, did it hit you hard this week? Did Tuesday come come with a ton of bricks? Uh, no, actually, I was, I was good. I was good. So, I mean, I, you know, I mentally prepared myself for it. So I, I was, I was ready and I was, uh, there was lots of sports on. So I was, I was, I was excited. Yeah. Well, good segue, Rashad. This is why you're the co-host now and Kyle's out. <laughs> the Wizards, the Wizards. So Rashad, so I went home and I was back. Uh, hanging out with my sister and my family in Iowa, Nebraska. And I told you that we would try to podcast because the Wizards had three games last week. And we would try to podcast uh, from, you know, being a typical blogger. I was trying to do it in my mom's basement. Uh, things didn't work out because part of me knew when the Wizards did so well that they would be 500 and we needed to talk about it. And I was unable to logistically figure, you know, to do it because I had a lot of family stuff going on. And then, of course, they lost two straight games since that. <laughs> and so now, we, so instead of us blogging about a sixteen and sixteen, they finally got to f- uh, five hundred. They dug out of this hole that I've talked about throughout this season on the show. And here we are; they, they lose two straight games. They currently are sixteen and eighteen on the season, zero and two here in the new year. Your thoughts of just the last couple of weeks since this team? You know, obviously, there's some highs and you know a little hiccup here. Lately, but just your impressions uh, about this basketball team currently. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to get too down on them. I'm encouraged that they had that great month of December where they put themselves in a position where the fans can ten and five, upset. ten and five, right, ten and five December, and so now we're in the position where if they lose a couple, the eighth spot is still within shouting distance, as opposed to at the beginning of December when we felt like a loss meant that they're falling in the depths of hell. So. You know, they played excellent in December. John Wall was amazing. The bench showed flashes of actually being legitimate contributors, and Bradley Beal just seems like he's ready to be an all-star again. So I think one of the more maddening things about these last two losses is you feel like, okay, what they've done the past two games is not at all reminiscent of what they've done in the month of December. And so I think, you know, just – from a fan slash writer standpoint, I feel like the expectations have raised slightly, the bar has raised slightly, and so have everyone's everyone's feeling that okay, they just lost two winnable games. So that is a good thing. Um, the negative is the reasons for the loss are still rooted in the bench and the defense, and those are problems that they weren't. You know, we didn't talk about them as much while they were playing better, but when they lose. You know, it's not like they're playing Golden State and they're getting blown out, and it's like we throw our hands up and say, okay, that wasn't a winnable game. There are very winnable games, and the bench, it's not even mismanaged. The bench just is not consistent enough, and it's just very maddening when you have a Dallas game where the starters were just gassed, as our colleague Adam Rubin wrote about today. And then you have a Houston game where the just the execution was just, was just off and the defense was non-existent. So... I'm encouraged. I, you know, these next four games, and we'll talk about that later, are crucial because there's a certain ambiguity to these games because I could sit here and build a case on why they could win the next four, and you could come back and, and have reasons for why they could easily lose. So, to me, this this is a crucial stretch because 
John Wall is feeling confident. Bradley Beal is feeling confident. And Coach Brooks is feeling more confident about how he uses the rotation. And I feel like if they lose these four games, you know, you're, you're going to, you can see that sniping. You can see, uh, you know, people not being as, as comfortable with the process. So these, these four games are crucial in that regard. Yeah. After the Charlotte game at home where the Kimba Walker three went in and out and the Wizards won the game, I had Brian France, uh, truth about a colleague on this podcast show. We went over basically the, the games at the end of this month or end of last month before the new year. And the team was in, you know, a little funk, starting to break out of it. But, you know, they had lost so many games early. And they had all these winnable games here and there. But we've seen throughout this John Wall era or just being a Wizards fan or whatever that sometimes they just don't take advantage of certain situations. But they had an opportunity here. Uh, favorable schedule, a lot of home games. And me and him talked about, like, hey, they need to be 16-16 and 16 before the new year. And that was what me and him said. And I'm going to kudos to myself. And I said it now. They won some games here and there that I thought that I didn't see them winning in Chicago, I guess. Uh, you know, I didn't see them beating the Clippers either. You know, there were two games right there that I didn't see them winning. And But yet here they played this good stretch of basketball. You know, the bench wasn't as miserable as you said. The starters were awesome. One of the best five uh, starting units in the league. When you look at uh, plus-minus uh, stats... John Wall, Bradley Beal were playing on top of their games, playing Otto Porter. The, those three guys, the nucleus of this team, were playing as good as they've ever played in their careers. Finally, had, finally, had this envision of this team or what we want as fans or maybe, you know, what Leonsis and Grunfeld, you know, f- people don't want to hear that, but what, <laughs> what fans don't want to hear that, but, you know, what they envisioned of this basketball team, like those three guys playing at this, this elite level, and they did, and they took – care of some teams, and and here they are, 16 and 16. So I want to talk about those games before we get into the last two because I know that you covered, uh, wrote about the Houston game. The Bucks game before, the Bucks game at uh, Milwaukee, They because I podcast, and of course in true Wizards fashion, they got blown out the night before I got my podcast up for the last one, before the break, and they got smashed in Milwaukee. The Greek Freak was ridiculous. There was so many dunks, Jabari. I don't want to talk about that game. They got blasted. Now, of course, the schedule is so effing weird in the NBA. They play the Bucks again uh, at home after Christmas. They win 107-102. to 102. And the thing, as much as the bench has struggled throughout the season, is that also that this team and these losses, you can look throughout the schedule, they could not finish out these games in the fourth quarter. There were stretches and crunch time especially on the road, and we'll get into the road woes because that is that is ridiculous how bad they are. And here they're down 10 at home with eight minutes left, and they close it out. They go on a huge run. They beat the Bucks. Otto Porter was fantastic at 32 points. And it was one of those games where they we always look and say at the end of the season, like, oh, that's a game that was 50-50. They could have had, but then, you know, they didn't pull it out or – Oh, they should have won that game, but they didn't. And this is one maybe they should have lost and they won. And I don't even see the Pacers game as well. I mean, they go they the next two days later, uh, last Wednesday, or two Wednesdays ago, they beat the Pacers one one eleven to one oh five at home. Wall had thirty six points, dueled with Paul George. You know, Troy Troy wrote about this on truthaboutit.net. Everyone should go to the site. Me and him write for 
uh, truthabout.net. Uh, Mr. Kyle Weedai is the man for those that don't know who are listening, which most of you should, but and Wall pulls it out and they dominate him on the boards. And once again, they won two straight games. I felt like they were 50-50 games, maybe even 60-40, 55-45, how they played out. And and we saw how Paul George in the well, we saw how the Pacers last year when at 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 the Verizon Center embarrassed them and made like 20 million threes. And and then in 2014 in the playoffs in a pitiful game five, Paul George went absolute or pitiful game four, actually, Paul George went absolutely nuts. Uh, at the Verizon Center, I was there and covered it, and Randy Whitman famously uh, shut me up in the NBA TV, uh, my national TV debut. Uh, he did not uh, like my question of what his last play was. Uh, <laughs> side note, hashtag. Uh, but what did you see out of those two games? Uh, and we don't need to really get into them because we have lots to cover, but you know, those two games I felt, do you see where I'm, do you see what I'm talking about where, Sometimes the Wizards lose those games, right? And somehow they prevailed. Yeah, the Indiana game, I felt like that was a 50-50 game because, you know, Indiana has a better record. And Indiana has a little bit more of an identity, even though they're, you know, they were without Monte Ellis. I feel like that's a, that's a tough matchup for the Wizards. I was actually disappointed that that Milwaukee game was as close as it was and that they were down because – you know, human nature just tells you if a team blows you out, you're super motivated coming out, and you try to, I mean, for better or for worse, you try to win the game the first five, ten minutes. We're, we're shot, especially after Christmas. Yeah, the whole time thinking about that. Right. I mean, there was, I mean, John Wall was particularly upset after that game and came up with some BS stat about how that happens one out of five games, which, you know, I'm, I'm thinking he was just distraught and said that that doesn't make any sense, but. You just figure that at the very least, the leader of the team or somebody will come out and if the Wizards will establish dominance. So I was a little disappointed. That game was more than a 50-50 game. I feel like they, they should have just come out like gangbusters. And the fact that they didn't was a little concerning. But, you know, on the flip side, the fact that they were able to hold on and win that game and the fact that Otto was the catalyst behind that guy, you know, how they played, I can take some solace in that. But, you know, the, the Indiana game, I – I going into it, I just I just felt like they were going to lose, and so, you know, I'm I was encouraged by those games, but you can and not to nitpick here. I, I said I wouldn't do that, but you could still see the the reasons why they would ultimately start faltering at the beginning of this year in those games. The starters played heavy minutes. When the bench came in, there was a bit of a drop off, and you know that that's. That's just a reason to be concerned, and I think Kyle had a, a stat in one of those articles where he said that the Wizards starters play, I think, the fourth most minutes, um, and, I, and, I, and I'll double-check that. But I, w- I was a little concerned in both those victories, even though they won, that the way they were winning, it was sufficient over Milwaukee and Indiana, but I worried about that as they went on the road. Well, it, it, we should also mention Beal gets hurt in the Pacers game. He does. He yeah, does. And, right. He, and he, he turns his ankle, right? And he turned his ankle, and Wall was amazing. With just yeah, his, line, his line, his line was thirty-six points, eleven rebounds, nine assists, two steals, five turnovers, twelve right. of thir- I mean, he, thirteen from the free throw line, eleven and nineteen from the field. I mean, that's just incredible. And you can argue that game, along with the fifty-plus game he had, pretty much cemented the fact that he was going to be the player of the month. He just controlled the pace and. Again, we'll get to the two games 
uh, this year. But when Wall is at that point where every time he's getting the ball on a made or a missed basket and he's running downhill, he's just impossible to stop. Because, and you and I have both heard opposing coaches say this before games, you just don't know what to do. Do you pick up Wall early and, and try to frustrate him and risk that he'll make the perfect pass? Or do you focus on you know, the men he can pass to and watch him get into the lane and perhaps get an and one. And when he's rolling like that, the way he was against Indiana and the what the way he was at certain points, even against Houston, he's just he's just impossible to stop and he's just racking up the, the assists and the points. And so, you know, when he can do that, even though you don't like the fact that he's playing heavy minutes, when he's controlling everything like that, you have to let him go. Going back to what I was mentioning about the the big three, I oh which will give people warm, fuzzy feelings of the old big three of the odds of Gil, uh, Curran, and Antoine. But th- those against the Bucks, Wall, Porter, and Beal had 74 points. And against the Pacers, they had 70 points combined. And Beal only played 18 minutes and had 12 points. I mean, Wall had 36, Otto had uh, 32. I think my math is correct on that. That is... <clears throat> I mean... We'll we'll rip about the bench, but that is exactly what we want them to be, correct? It is. And as I don't remember, oh, this is David Rogers who said this, like when he was getting upset at people suggesting that they should trade Gortai for Wall, his gripe was the starters are the best part about this team. It is the, the starters are so good, they're the reason why they have the record that they have now. So you can't disrupt that at all. And so. I don't have a gripe with the stars at all. I mean, again, Markeith Morris's shot selection leaves much to be desired at times. But on the flip side, he guarded James Harden spectacularly the other night. So it's like you can live and die with that. But Wall is consistent. Bill is consistent. Dude, more, more, we beat the Clippers because of Morris. I mean, he was great in that game. Right. So he's, you know, more often than not, he's keeping you in games. But when he's bad, he'll take bad shots and he'll collect fouls and bunches. So what well, was well, the you know, well, the, well, the thing is, is that you can see Markeith being able to do something. You cannot see Andrew Nicholson doing anything, right? You know what I mean? It, there's a difference of where, where you're like, you don't see certain players that uh, else on the roster. It just he has to be more consistent. Okay, but, but I want to move um, on. I take I take offense to that. Andrew Nicholson is, is is racking up DMPs in spectacular fashion. Well, yeah, for four more years, I guess. What a great signing! Uh, Twenty four million dollars. It, it, what a boring interview, too. Have you interviewed him recently? I haven't interviewed him since Media Day, I guess. But you know, I try. To I, guess I, I, I guess I, I guess I keep ha- I keep hammering him about like a five minute exchange on Media Day. I should probably like let that go. Well, you know, <laughs> talk to I, <laughs> I, I I work by the Judici- Judiciary Square building, and one morning I was walking to work, and I actually saw him walking to the Verizon Center, and I stopped, and I talked to him, and asked him how he was doing. He was very nice, very personable. Very Canadian. Very Canadian. <laughs> I didn't tell him who I was, who I was affiliated with, but he's just, you know, certain guys just don't thrive in that interview setting for whatever reason. Were, were, were you the only uh, person that recognized Andrew Nicholson in Chinatown? I absolutely, it wasn't even Chinatown. It was on the <laughs> fringe of Chinatown. And does, he, absolutely does he live over there or something, off mass or something maybe? 
you know, I didn't want to be creepy, so I didn't ask him. <laughs> oh, I, I would know totally that ask him. He was walking, and nobody recognized him. Because, and he was tall, but, I mean, he looked like he was just, you know. Yeah. Just, he's just, a very nondescript. Just just an average uh, black, nice Canadian here in the nation's capital. Uh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> my, but, but here, the, the, there's one more game we're going to briefly mention, and the reason we're going to talk about it, uh, the Wizards, and on Friday, they went again at home against the Nets, 118-95. to 95. You were at the arena. Uh, in, in the preseason, me and Troy Halliburton and I went out to, this, out to a spot, and we had a monster podcast and previewed the whole season talked about Media Day. And he had all these kind words to say about Trey Burke when we talked about him, and I was like, man, I don't really see Trey Burke as a point guard. I don't... I don't really feel him as much, but he, and he was more high on him than me. But what I did agree was that we would have a Trey Burke game at some point in this in this season. I predicted it was going to be the Sixers, but you know what? The Nets are just like the Sixers, and here we are. Trey Burke goes for twenty seven points, five of five from three from three. The team was eleven of twenty two from three pointers. Uh, they smashed the Nets. You were there. I don't really have anything other to say about this game other than what you were going to add. Uh, and then also, Marcin Gortat decides to make all his dunks in the whole season combined in this game. That's all I, else I got. And the, and the bench really loved it. Yeah, well, first of all, you said that this was the Trey Burke game, but there was, at one point in the first half, at the end of the first quarter, it looked like it was going to be the Jason Smith game. He scored oh, God, about, Jason Smith, too? Really? He, he scored about six points in two minutes, and he was active. And it, it just looked like, okay, this is this is about to be a Jason Smith game. He was just – he was pumped up in a way that you hadn't seen him before. Um, but, again, this was Trey Burke. Now, you know, it's, it's important to mention that Trey Burke got these minutes because Bill was out. And so – he was in more situations where he was playing with Wall, and even when Wall went to the bench, the confidence he got when he played with Wall was just it spilled over. So he was, you know, he was. He was here, 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 yo, here's his line, dude: thirty minutes, ten to twelve from the field, five of five from three, like I mentioned, two of two in the free throw line, two seals, two assists, two rebounds, two turnovers, plus twenty, <laughs> plus minus. Like that's incredible, man. He was he was he was absolutely on fire. I don't even think he missed in the first half, and he was just a friend of mine joked around and said, "You know, do the Wizards have the next uh, Jamal Crawford?" Which is funny and absolutely not true. But it was just it was nice to see him kind of shed the whatever was going on in his head that made him hesitant. Um, but the interesting admission by Scott Brooks after the game was that Scott Brooks said that he stopped trying to make Trey Burke a point guard. Um, because it just wasn't working, and he made he put Burke in positions where he's more of a combo guard, where sometimes he's on the ball, sometimes he's off the ball, and you know Burke feels more confident, and you could see that sometimes he brought the ball up. When he brought the ball up, he went to his spots and shot it, but he also played off the ball. And you know, at the time, I was thinking that this admission would carry over into other games beyond this one, but as we know. You know, Burke played well partly because Bill wasn't there, but mostly because he was playing a horrendous team who just doesn't have a lot of defense on the perimeter. So, and I will, I'll give Scott Brooks that credit because he started playing Burke in lineups with John Wall, especially on the second unit in the third quarter, second quarters, and that really helped his confidence because when he was trying to run, I mean, earlier it was brutal. He got a little bit better as the season progressed, but there was this tentative about him, but when he's in attack mode, I mean, dude, he's a baller. He was a player of the year in college for a reason. 
You know, like, like he can get buckets. That with a thing, it's just like he's not the guy to fill that role, that twenty to twenty-five minute backup point guard, which you need from him. And he's probably too short to be a shooting guard, or doesn't shoot it at a high enough clip from downtown to be a backup shooting guard in this league. So he's kind of stuck in the tweener range. But then he also can score at the NBA level at the at this elite basketball. So he's kind of caught in this weird uh, dichotomy. He is, but you know. Well, one, let me go back because McClellan um, actually started yes. in place of of, uh, of of Beal, and he he played he played a decent game. He was a little hesitant in the beginning. It looked like he was a little nervous, and you know because Burke was playing so well, it kind of picked up the slack. And the second half, McClellan started playing a little better. And the Nets are um, horrible. The Nets are horrible. Can we add that part? <laughs> they are. They're horrible. They play hard. They really do, but. You know, even the coach after the game was just heaping on praise on on the Wizards, and it made me a little uncomfortable. It was like, come on, guy. You know, they just they just beat the shit out of you. Like, <laughs> you know. But, uh, the, you know, the other thing is that Trevor Booker has expanded his game in such a way that you almost wish he was on a better team, but I think he's thriving in being a leader, not just the vocal leader, but in terms of energy. But he's developed a consistent three-point shot. I mean, at one point, you know, he, he's just shooting it with ease. And so, you know, that that was nice to see. His game was very limited as, as a wizard, and maybe he wasn't given the chance to shine. But his game has expanded. He's a lot more physical. He's, I mean, that, that, that was nice to see. I, I was looking at him as like, as if that is a player I want on the Wizards roster now. Well, you know Cookbook is one of my favorite Wizards of all time. I interviewed him in his rookie days relentlessly talked to him, had a personal relationship with him, which I currently don't really have with anyone on the roster from a player standpoint. And I will go off on a... I'm sorry to hear that, man. Yeah, I'll go... I know. It was, you know, hey, you know. And Cartier, Cartier, actually Cartier was probably number one. Cartier, Blotch, and Booker. <laughs> and, I know, fans will be uh, funny to see that that combo of players. Uh, Seraphim to a certain extent a little bit, but the thing is, is that is that uh, I love Trevor Booker. I could talk about forever, and I'll go off on a 20-minute rant. That's probably for the offseason, but I'm really, you know, his mom follows me on Twitter. His wife follows me on Twitter. I talk to his family a lot. It goes deep, dude, with the cookbook, the cereal. You know, I think that's one of Leonson's uh, screw-ups that I'd ever mentioned about letting him go uh, after the season, but uh, three years ago. But what I I was going to ask you is that uh, anything else to take from this game before we move on? Because we're on a schedule, time schedule. Just that, that John Wall, I mean, he didn't have the numbers of uh, Trey Berg, and he didn't necessarily, you know, it wasn't as surprising to see him play well like it was Jason Smith, but John Wall was in control of this entire game. They, they just could not guard him. If you go to the article I wrote, there's a, there's a couple clips of, of John Wall, just the handles, controlling the tempo. He oh, just, that pass, dude. He had like yes. three highlights on NBA.com, yes. dude. He had the pass, the dunk. He dunked on some random dude for the Nets and didn't even know he was in the league. Justin Hamilton, maybe. Some poor yeah, white guy got got his got crammed on. And then that one pass. I mean, the Nets announcers on the pass were just like, oh, my God. And then Wall did a little spin around after see, he passed it. I don't see color, Adam. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do. I feel like uh, one of my privileges is a, as a as – a, you know, a middle-aged white man, uh, Irish uh, guy named McGinnis that I can talk about uh, – 
uh, you know, stupid white guys. You know, it's like white running backs right now. Mm-hmm. You know, the white running backs and the, the Packers and the, and the Lions were playing the other night. It's like, we got a white running back named Rup- Rupkowski, and the other the other guy for the Lions is from South Dakota. I mean, what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, but John Wall was great. He had three straight back highlights. My last takeaway. Yeah. Yes. Just my last takeaway from the game is you could tell in the locker room that even though it was just the Nets, there was a certain – energy with them getting to 500 i mean even uh our colleague bid standig asked him do they kind of feel like this is a reset and scott brooks admitted that yes it is i mean he he said that he wasn't he said it's not a 32 game season if it was he'd be happy but he was most proud of his team because things were really bleak at the beginning of the year and his team kept chipping away and it just felt like you know the way wall was playing the way you know, the way the team won without Bill and that Bill was going to be coming back, you felt like there was a chance that with these two games, these two back-to-back Texas games, that this momentum, despite the slight layoff, but the momentum would carry over into the Houston game. And for, for the first, I'd say, for the first 20 minutes, all of the first quarter and the first eight minutes of the second quarter, that's what happened. I mean, the Wizards came out, and Steve Buckhand said, I'm segueing here into the Houston game. Yeah, let's do it. But do it. The Wizards came out, and arguably. 29-14, first quarter. Right, and, and Steve Buckhand said, no, this was Phil Chenier who said the Wizards have played their best quarter of basketball that they played all year. And, and it was it was hard to argue with that. I mean, they were, you know, as I'm, I'm name-dropping here, but as Zach Lowe said, it wasn't just that the Wizards – that Houston was missing shots. It was the way they were defending um, James Harden. They were getting up on him. Occasionally, you would see Bill kind of faint and jump out at him in the backcourt before the ball was inbounded. So James, you know, Harden was having to work just to get the ball over the court. They were doing a good job of pushing him out to the three-point line, making him fake, and then pass the ball. And that just threw off the rhythm of Houston. And, you know, players were missing open shots, yes, but at the same time, they weren't getting the kinds of shots that they normally did because of the defense on Harden. And it seemed like, because if you remember when Houston played at the Verizon Center, Harden didn't have the best of games at all. You know, he kind of he played better in the second half in spurts, but he wasn't as dominant as he's been with seemingly every other team. So in the first half, in the first eight minutes of the second quarter, it seemed like, okay, perhaps the Wizards have figured out not how to stop him, but how to slow down hard and disrupt the rhythm of everyone else. Well, Rashad, Rashad, he's coming off of arguably the best statistical game of all time. 51, 17, and 16 against the Knicks the previous yeah, game. Are- I mean, it was, it, they said it was the, he produced the most points since Wilt and Kobe. Which is, yeah, the, num- the numbers were cartoonish. Yeah, and I, I was like, holy crap. I mean, especially when you have Russell Westbrook out here, you know, averaging a triple-double, and then, he, then Harden goes for that game. I mean, if that game went into overtime, he could have maybe had 60-20-20. and 20. I mean, that's just fucking absurd. And for the Wizards to, to defend him so well in, in the first half, and so anyway, to let the people know, which you probably know, the Wizards lost 101-91. to 91. Uh, They came out to a fast start, were, were up... Let's see what were they up. Uh, they were up twelve and a half, but a thirty-seven to seventeen third quarter favored by the Rockets. 
did them in. Uh, the other thing, the Wizards also were 6-26 from the three-point line, and Eric Gordon had 31 points for the Rockets. Rashad, you wrote about this on the site. Tell the people your observations of this one. Well, yes, the third quarter did them in, but the end of the second quarter also did them in. There was a point where they were up by 12-14, to 14, and again, the Houston just looked totally out of sorts, and... There were just a series of turnovers by the Wizards. John Wall had a turnover. He tried to post up. It didn't work out. And there were just a series of events which kept the lead right in that 12 to 14 range. And those same opportunities that they had earlier in the second quarter and the first quarter they were making. And it, it was just maddening because they they should have been up 20. In fact, John Wall even said at, at, at the end of the game, he said, we should have been up much more at halftime. And... They were stagnant. They allowed uh, Houston to close the lead. And in that third quarter, Houston just fed off that momentum. It's as if they fed off of Washington's inability to put their foot on their neck. And they just came out. And, again, one of the things I noticed defensively is that it seemed like every man in Houston's starting five just kept one foot in the lane. So in, in the first quarter and most of the second quarter, John Wall, much as he did against Brooklyn, was getting where he wanted, when he wanted, if he got in the lane, he was kicking it out to everybody. If they didn't clog the lane, he was getting to the basket. And what Houston started doing is clogging the lane. And Wall wasn't getting into the lane. When he made a pass, he was making passes at a bad angle. Or the decision-making was, was left up to Gortat or Morris or Porter, and they just weren't making good decisions. So that alone was reason was the reason that Houston started coming back. And then... James Harden started hitting shots, and more importantly, Eric Gordon started hitting shots, and the tide just turned. And, you know, at one point, the announcers were saying, you know, you knew Houston wasn't going to stay down this long, and they found their rhythm. And had the Wizards pushed the lead to 20-plus, this comeback wouldn't have been so devastating because then even if Houston had come back, the lead would still be at 10, and you figure they'd gather themselves, as the Wizards did, they actually gathered themselves and got back in contention. But because that lead was only 12 or 14, they just went right past the Wizards, and the Wizards never recovered. Even though they closed the gap, they just never recovered. So, you know, it, it was just it was disappointing to see they didn't – they're not used to being in the position where they're up 12 to 14 against a good team and they can close them out. They, they don't know how to do that yet, and, and that's a lesson to be learned. But is, is it weird in the sense that we have a letdown because they had they played so well against a really good basketball team on the road, and this team has struggled away from the Verizon Center. So then we're oh, you know, hey, we lost to the Houston Rockets, who are playing amazing. James Harden's putting up an MVP type of season. That system, everyone's doing really well down there, and. I don't really expect the Wizards to win that game at all. And so the Wizards lose by 10, and you're like, okay, yeah, they lose by 10 in Houston. But then, but then you feel kind of, ah, like not you let one slip away because it wasn't like at the end of the game there was some close play or something, but it was more like, wow, you played so good at the beginning, and then you faltered down the edge, and you're like, well, what the hell? I wish you just kind of got your ass kicked the whole game. <laughs> Wait, and, you know, on one hand, you can blame it on the bench. The bench scored 13 points. You know, they were bad. They were bad. Kelly, Kelly Oubre was was not consistent, and you know Trey Burke didn't resemble the guy who scored. The, the, all the starters know. were in double figures, actually. 13 for Morris, 13 for Porter, 12 for Gortat, 27 for Wall, and 
25 for Beal. Who Beal actually came back in that game as well, too. We have to mention that. Right. But on the flip side, if James Harden is going 6 for 24, and you, you should win that game. And the reason why they didn't win the game is because Eric Gordon decided to play Trey Burke, and he went off. And it's it's not just that he was scoring. That's the way he was scoring. He was setting him up with the outside shot. There were a couple instances where he would kind of hesitate, act like he was going to shoot a three and drive to the lane. And he literally looked like Bradley Beal. Just the way he was scoring, the herky-jerky motion, the getting to the lane and finishing, and the Wizards just didn't have an answer. But, again, it was disappointing because they should have won the game and they should have been up by more. But at the same time, this Rockets team is third in the Western Conference. They've been playing incredible basketball. Mike D'Antoni has put James Harden in a situation where he can do what he wants. You can't really be mad that they lose this game because they're not supposed to beat Houston in Houston with the team playing the way it is. Our colleague Sean wrote about this game as well, along with you, and his angle was the Nene Ariza Old, old, who both had uh, positive contributions to this game. Does that, does that burn a little bit? Uh, that, that we didn't hire D'Antoni, which the Wizards could have handed D'Antoni. Everyone always talks about what D'Antoni would do with Wall. And now you're kind of seeing what he's doing with Harden. And I did not pr- predict that. I mean, I was kind of, I was sour on D'Antoni with his Lakers and his Knicks experience. And man, he is doing what, what he did with the Suns and, Maybe even on steroids. They might even be a little bit better because I think they might be a little tougher and play better defense. He is, but I mean, D'Antoni was also in two other, was also in LA and wasn't able to, you know, I think this is just a perfect fit. I don't know that if what well, he's doing now would have been. And the, Car- so, so, so the Carmelo situation in New York and then the whole Kobe and Dwight Howard thing in, in LA didn't really allow him to be what he wanted to do, which gave him success in Phoenix. Right, so I'm not. I mean, I'm, I can't be mad at that. It's, it's it's impressive to watch this situation. It'll be interesting to see whether they're able to maintain this pace. So, so uh, Nene signs for what two million dollars one year deal in Houston, and we signed Jason Smith to a three year uh, deal uh, for what I don't know four sixteen million. What the fuck, man? I, I, well, I, I'm not. I'm not going to begrudge Grunfeld for that because I I don't know. I think Nene is energized by being in a fresh place. I don't know that he would be playing as well and would be as productive in in Washington as he is in Houston. I think it's a different scenario. He was brought in to Houston to come off the bench and give 20 minutes. Here, if he did that, it would still represent a demotion. He's playing behind Gortat. So I don't... Plus, he was kind of a sourpuss in the locker room and he was kind of a get-off-my-lawn guy. I don't think that this particular incarnation of the Wizards really brings out the best in Nene the way playing on Houston does, where there's a nice mix you're saying, the, you're saying the locker dynamic, the fact that he was there, the fact that he was a man, and him taking a lesser role in Washington, he maybe wouldn't have done that because of his personality, but when he goes to a new team and kind of got humbled by only getting a $2 million contract, that he's more motivated in Houston than he would have been in Washington. Not necessarily the contract, I just think the atmosphere is more conducive to who Nene is right now in his career. I don't think I don't think he would have been as humbled in playing that role here in Washington. So I don't begrudge that. Now, Jason Smith isn't 
you know, he's not making me forget about Nene. He never will. Commercial break time. Yes. The sponsor, Sneakers, S-N-E-K-I-S dot com, DMV, sports apparel. Holidays are over, but guess what? There's always time to hook your friends and family up with some cool, fresh gear. Valentine's Day is around the corner. Help support this Wizards independent media because I continually give you the real about this basketball team and I'm not influenced by the corporate factions of Monumental or Comcast. And at checkout, you get 10% off your order when you enter Pixel and Roll. Now back to the show. So we also spent $64 million on a, on a center where we wanted to potentially become the starter. And he's played 12 minutes. So that is a different, <laughs> a, another reason that uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's the white elephant in the room, right? You know, I, I, I'm split down the middle with that because on one hand, he had never missed the number of games that he's missed now in his career. And so it's hard to, I mean, who, I mean, he didn't know he was going to be a victim of the curse of Le Boulet. But on the flip side, and as I've tweeted about, uh, Jake Whitaker talked about this when we first signed Mahim Nee. When a player has had lingering knee injuries, hits his 30s, the shit doesn't get better. It tends to be exacerbated and it tends to get worse. And sure enough, he is right in that sweet spot, and that knee injury went from just being nagging to being an albatross. Like and he then he hurt the other knee, play. bro. He hit there, he hurt the other knee in rehab. I mean, that's he the did. Part, that's the part that just kills me. <laughs> and one of one of my coworkers today, who I mean, he doesn't know a lot about the Wizards. He just knows what he reads. He basically reads all Candace articles and then comes to me like he's an expert. <laughs> he said to me. He says, so when, when is Mahimni coming back? And I said, he'll be back in a few weeks. And he said, well, is he going to be back? Is he going to be healthy then or is he going to be in shape? I said, of course he's not going to be in shape. He's just going to be healthy. And they're like, well, that means he's not really going to be back for five weeks. And I said, that's, I mean, that's assuming you believe that three-week timetable. I said, we're dealing with the Wizards here. The best-case scenario for the Wizards is, is he healthy for the playoffs, assuming they make it? And he looked at me as if I told him, you know, that the unicorns were real. He was like, they're not going to make the playoffs. So, you know, I, I'm i not going to get mad at, at Ernie Grunfeld for this signing. This doesn't anger me as much as the Nicholson and Jason Smith signings well, do. But. How, about, how about this, Rashad? This is what I, because I'm crazy and I know, I know way too much about the Wizards. Okay, so we don't, we let Ariza go. Because we want to, don't want to tie in long money. We already signed Martel at the, at the point. We don't know that his back is going to end up being what it is. And, and he wanted to go. He wanted to go. He wanted to go, and then he goes, signs, and then we get Paul Pierce. We have this Paul Pierce moment, you know, in the playoffs, which everyone is romanticizing, which are great. There are great moments. You know, some of the best uh, times, highlights that this franchise has had in the last, you know, 10 years. But Ariza was fabulous for the Wizards. And if you remember when Nene headbutts Jimmy Butler and gets suspended and there's a free Nene game, Trevor Reza was outstanding in that game. It was a Trevor Reza game. They beat the Bulls at home in game four. And then they go close it out in game five in Chicago and win the first playoff series in, you know, nine years. And that was awesome experience. And now you have the fact that both those dudes are on the Rockets <laughs> playing together. And then the dude that was basically taking Nene's job 
uh, is hurt, and then they basically miss half the games as a wizard. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, I, does it all come to is it, is it some like circle of fucking I don't know. Life's a flat circle. I don't know what this means, but it's all well, just if it you want to want to take that further, Adam. The player and, the and, and, player. and we end up with me. You know, let me finish. And we end up with Mahimi, and the reason we let Ariza go, and maybe you know he wanted less money and blah blah, is because we're gonna. Keep our ink dry for this free agency crop, and then our, then our big free agency ends up being Mahimi. <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't like Ariza didn't want to stay. I don't think we could have kept him, and Nene didn't want to stay. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm, on, I'm, on the, I'm not unless, unless it hit the hatred of the management, that's not on there. I just find it very, very. Uh, I don't know. I'm curious is the right word. But let's but, go to let's go to Mavericks. Do you have anything less to say? Well, the Mavericks game is maddening to me because we lost one thirteen to one hundred five. We, I'm sorry, the Wizards lost uh, in Dallas back to back to a bad Mavericks team who's underachieved, but they've you know got some more health lately. So I think they're playing a little bit better than the record uh, indicates. What are your thoughts on this game? Number one, this this was a loss that you can blame on Ernie Grunfeld. In, in an indirect way, because... The bench was terrible. The bench... Horrific. Number one, the bench was needed on a back-to-back game. A back-to-back game in which you traveled, the bench was needed. And Scott Brooks did not have trust in the bench. And, you know... John he basically, Wall he basically, played, yeah, he basically played a seven-man lineup. I mean, Uber played 25 minutes, Thornton played five, 15, and then Burke, nine, McClellan, six, Smith, eight. I mean, that's nothing. Right, and, you know, Gortat played 40, Wall played 39. Mind you, in the beginning of the season, when Wall was healthy, he wasn't even playing back-to-back, and now he goes to playing almost 80 minutes in two days. You know, Markeith Morris got in quick foul trouble and just never found a rhythm. Otto Porter was off, and it was just, you know, Wall and Bill showed up to play. They, they, they did their thing, but nobody else kind of showed up, and... It was it was very disappointing that the bench. It was disappointing that Brooks couldn't rely on the bench, and that the bench didn't show up. Conversely, on on Dallas' side, their Devin bench Harris their bench turned, their bench was fantastic. Right, Devin Harris turned back the clock. Seth Curry was was hitting. He was looking like his brother, and that their bench did exactly what you'd expect, what you wanted the Wizards' bench to do, which is provide energy. Give give the starters a little more rest than normal. I mean, Darren Williams only had to play 32 minutes because of the minutes that Curry and Harris were playing, and it, it was just their bench outscored the Wizards 43 to 15. Now, obviously, they played a little bit more more minutes, but not that many, not that much more actually. Right, so it was that was just one of those losses that on paper the Wizards are better if they played the Wizards. But they played the Mavericks the first night of the back-to-back. They would have beaten them easily and handily. But you can't expect your starters, particularly Wall, you can't expect Wall to have that level of energy where he's getting everybody involved two nights in a row. I mean, this is the kind of game you need your bench to go long, to come in at the end of the first quarter and maybe stay in until like five minutes left in the second quarter or give the starters a good, solid rest so that they're energized for the second half, and that just didn't happen. And, and, and we saw that as well. I mean, the Washington had nine points in the fourth quarter with like couple, like three, four minutes left in the game. They finished the fourth quarter with 17 points. And so that is indicative of wearing down on a back-to-back, correct? 
It is. And after the game, Scott Brooks was one of the rare instances where he was critical of the team collectively, of their energy, which, you know, I'm I mean, sure who is who? But who is the energy guy off the bench, really? I mean, do we really have an energy guy? I, mean, I don't know if he does. It's Ubre. It's ideally it should Ubre. Be Ubre, it should but, be Ubre. Young legs, you're right? But but Ubre, you know, even despite was, his trip was, to the he, Y, yeah, he was rattled from his trip to the YMCA from the forty year old like, man. Ubre, well, we don't know. We just don't know how that concussion affected him because he just has not been, not been the same, the same since, guy. Since, right. You're right. So that is the energy guy. I mean, that's what he marketed himself as. That's what Scott Brooks expected from him on the lead in from summer league into the season that Kelly Oubre was going to be the energy guy, the defense guy off the bench. And even before the concussion, he's been doing that with varying degrees of success. But since the concussion, he's just been off. And, you know, I, there was this, I was going to write about this and I still might, but after the Brooklyn game, the attention that Oubre may have been getting earlier in the season was going to Trey Burke. And there was just, I remember when the media was hovering around Trey Burke and then going to Jason Smith, Oubre was just kind of getting dressed in his locker slow and then just kind of slithered out of the locker room. And I just, the look on his face struck me. It's like, is he having a crisis of confidence here? Is the concussion affecting him in ways that are undetectable? By the medical crew, but are affecting him mentally. You just, you just and never he, know. And he's twenty-one. He just turned twenty-one. He's a young guy. He's brash. He has this personality that is, you know, engaging. I enjoy his takes. You know, I, I you know, I think he brings a positive vibe. I, I like what he's doing. You know, but I can see where that also is a net. It can also go quickly the other way, right? It could, but he was more down last year when he just flat out didn't play for weeks and weeks at a oh, time. Yeah. And oh, made, yeah. When he finally did play, he was energized. This just seems like something mentally, like he's lost confidence. And, you know, one of the things that Scott Brooks was impressed about, about his team up in, up until that Brooklyn game, or uh, right after the Brooklyn game, is how players who weren't playing just kept chipping away and working themselves out of a funk. And it looks like Uber Jason Smith, Trey that. Burke, right? I mean, you can give examples. Right. But right now he's just stuck in a in a mode where he's showing flashes, but he's not consistently being the player he was before the concussion. Well, the other, the other thing that was really poor in this game is the Mavs were seventeen of thirty two from three pointers, and the Wizards were eleven of thirty. And that might not seem that big of a deal, but that's really the difference in this game. So, well, don't, don't I mean? I'm well, sorry. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, no. What was your point? That that is a big difference. I mean. Particularly off the bench, when you look at Curry was four or five, and Devin Harris was four or seven. That's that's the bulk of the bench. Production. Yeah, yeah. And eight, eight, so three, eight, eight threes off the bench. I mean, shit. That's like three less. That's three less than what the whole Wizards team made, right? <laughs> that, that's that's a huge deal. So I mean, that 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 can't be discounted. What what I was gonna say is that uh, so I think I have, you know, I always ask this question. It seems cliche. You know, every season that I say it, I've asked John Wall, I've asked Randy Whitman, I've asked, you know, everyone, like, what is your team? What is your identity? You know, who are you? You know, they'd say defense, you know, back when the Wizards were successful and they had a top 10 defense, that was true. And when they struggled last year on defensively, they were talking about we need to get back to the defense and, and all that. And I feel like I finally figured out now, 34 games of the season, Rashad, I know their identity. 
They're a good home team. They're a bad road team. They're excellent starting five and a terrible bench. I'll take it a step further. Before the Brooklyn game, Scott Brooks was asked about his team so far. He said, we're a great offensive team. We have no problem scoring. We're an average defensive team. And if we can hold our opponent, I think he said 37, something like that, percent shooting, and we can play at the offensive clip that we're playing, I can live with that right now. So even he knows that this team is miles ahead offensively than they are defensively and that that you know that may not change i mean the houston game is evidence that that may not change they just don't have for whatever reason the personnel to consistently defend every night but they're 13 they're 13 and 6 at home and 3 and 12 on the road their offense is 14th efficiency in the nba and 21st defensively you cannot be in the 20s and expect to be a playoff team in this in this league, correct? Nope, you cannot. And the thing is, even in the fourteenth offense is somewhat misleading because in this ten and five stretch in December, they've been a. They, I, th- I think they're like six or seven offensively in the month of defense, December in the league. So he's right in that assessment that they've been fantastic offensively, and you know they've improved a little bit on the. F- their three-point defense, especially, which was brutal early, but it's still, you know, 27th in the league, and they still give up way too many three-pointers and open looks. But my question to you, Rashad, is so I, we that's the identity of what they are. Uh, are these issues fixable? Now, we've, we've mentioned these issues as we've gone through these games. What do you see here, positively and negatively, and are these issues that you see negatively uh, fixable? As we progress through the season. Well, part of it will be fixable if, and it's a huge if, if Mahimni comes back, the the internal defense is it's fixed in such a way where you can gamble. I mean, Gortat, Nicholson, and Jason Smith aren't exactly the kind of defenders who you can let your man beat you and you have 100% confidence that they're going to block the shot. Mahimni, especially in Indiana, is, is the kind of player who – is a stopper inside. And so let's say he comes back in three, four weeks. All of a sudden you're put in a position where Beal, Wall, and even Oubre can gamble a little bit knowing that someone behind them can clean up their mess. So that'll help. But number two, you need somebody has to step up on the bench beyond Oubre. And there needs to be a consistent rotation where, and you know, Maybe I'm, I'm being altruistic here, but I just feel like if players know what their role is when they come into the game, they'll, they'll thrive on it. I mean, Jamal Crawford has built a whole career on knowing he has about five, ten minutes to show how hot he is. If you have Sadoransky, know that his job is to be the backup point guard and Trey Burke, it's Trey Perk's job, Trey Burke's job to play off of him. Maybe they gain confidence off of that. I just, right now, you know, particularly in the Dallas and Houston games, it feels like Scott Brooks is just trying to throw something at the wall and see what sticks. And so maybe more defined roles, maybe more defined bench rotations will help them be able to support the starters. But, you know, I I feel like I'm reaching here. I feel like this could be who this team is right now at this time where they're heavily reliant on the starters and 
you're just hoping one bench player can give them above average production, but on most nights you're going to rely on heavy minutes from the starters. I mean, that, that just seems like what it's going to be. I don't know that that's correctable. And I don't know that you can put all your hopes into a player who hasn't played anything but one game all year, but you know, that's, that's, that, that's what I, I don't feel like they're correctable. I just think they need everybody healthy and then let Scott Brooks see what he can do. I would personally cut Nicholson and Jason Smith and eat the money, but that's not doable and probably unwise. So I feel like Achefu and House are the ones on the chopping block. And you need to bring in a real point guard to run the offense and play Jay Burke in spots and maybe have Thornton to come in here and there. And you need another big. You need Go get an athletic big. Go to the D-League. Go to China. Get some athletic bigs. Maybe some guy that's been bouncing around here and there that can rebound and block shots and go in, and that is an assurance of Mahimi doesn't come back. Correct? Because and, and, I just don't feel like Jason Smith's sustainable at the minutes he's playing or the production we want out of him. And then and they need a backup point guard. I mean, they definitely need someone to run the offense on the second unit. They can get Bradley Beal the ball. They can find Oubre on the break. That, that can do these things right now that doesn't possess on this team because – Right now, unfortunately, one of the most disappointing aspects of this team, I mean, Nicholson to me is number one, but Sadoransky is becoming really close to number one. And, and his confidence is, show, is so shot. No, he has the capability, and he's shown flash at the beginning of the season. And I don't know if that's Brooks's fault, if it's Sadoransky's fault, but right now he's racking up DMPs, and I don't know what his role really is. I don't want to get rid of him. I think that'd be dumb. I mean, that I would freak out if they would get rid of him. I don't think that's. I mean, House is way more, and they have more invested in Sadoransky, and the management wouldn't do that anyway. But then if he's not going to play and we have no one to run the offense, even though I think that he is cap- he's a, he has the most point guard skills on the roster aside from Wall, but he doesn't play, then what the fuck, you know? But, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to hold this against him because at the end of the day, not to be cliche here, but he's, he's still a rookie. And not only is he a rookie, but he's a rookie who played excellent in preseason and then before the beginning of the regular season heard his coach say, well, we'll see whether we can get him in the rotation. Yeah, that's going to mess with his confidence. And well, things confidence. But things I also think is bullshit because Brooks will talk about his defense where we're like, what, like Burke and Thornton are playing fucking defense? Come on, dude, you know? Well, yeah, he talks about his lack of defense, but the other thing that, that Brooks doesn't talk about that everybody can see is that his lack of a shot just oh, has teams yeah. Oh, yeah. sagging on him. Yeah, but well, for sure. Again, I'm talking about running I, the offense, though, right? I mean, Right, and I think if you're – you just kind of put aside his shot and you rely on Burke and whoever, whatever starter is running with the second team during that particular instance to, to score. And I, I think if Sadoransky got consistent minutes, he would, he would build confidence and he would offset what's horrible defense and, and horrible outside shooting with just consistency. And, and, you know, it's, that, it's that, almost that, like this team is a point, a point forward. Like they need a they need a someone. I mean, Scottie Pippen, I guess, comes back, and, or someone that can just like run like LeBron, not LeBron, but you know what I mean. Like someone that you're like, yo, dude, this guy's is versatile that can run the offense somewhat. But these guys just they just aren't aren't out there. Yeah, I know. Right? No, no, I don't have any answers here. Like, it's not like I I didn't give you. I just told you the people that maybe they should get rid of. I didn't actually tell you who they should add. Even though someone asked me, should they add Hollis Thompson to the to the roster? Because I guess he's out there. 
don't know what that means. There's a Reddit thread about that, but I don't know. He's a Georgetown guy, interviewing the pre-draft thing. He can hit some threes, but he's not really the solution, but he's potentially better than Marcus Thornton or Daniel House. Uh, McClellan, I like to see him, but come on, once again, he's an undrafted free agent rookie, man. I can't really hate too much on him, but I think you're correct in that I would like to see Sadoransky's confidence go up and, and Ubre, you know, maybe shake the cobbins off, off this uh, concussion that he has. What, here's one thing to you, Rashad. Okay, so the All-Star votes came out. John Wall is seventh in the Eastern Conference today of the first one. Now, they have changed the All-Star thing, I think just for the starters, where the media and the other players are half, and the, and the voting is just... The other half, which Zaja Pachulia for the Warriors has the third most votes in the league. Your thoughts on Zaja Pachulia? <laughs> I have no thoughts on Zaja Pachulia. He's a, he's, you know, how the fuck does that happen? A, Where's he from? Like Georgia, the Republic of Georgia? Like he's not even like Yao Ming from China. He can't even say like, oh my god, there's a lot of people in fucking Republic of Georgia. Like, no, is it like a Warriors thing? It has to be. I I, I don't know, but I don't, you know. I don't appreciate the way they changed up the All Star game. You know, oh, you're, against the, you're against the voting. Are you I am. Vote? Keep it. Keep it to the fans for the starters and the coaches and. So, Zaja, so according to you, Zaja Pachulia would be the starter in the West over Kawhi Leonard. If the fans voted him that way, yes. Oh, I like it. Yeah, it's, you sound like. Uh, well, I mean, then Hillary Clinton would be the president. And we'd all be celebrating on your birthday on January 20th, or, or all my friends are 94% of the people that didn't vote for the president-elect. Uh, Adam, I don't and, see color, and I don't see politics. Yeah, yes, yes, I know. A lot of economic anxiety out there in, the, in this country. Uh, my thing to you, but, but here's the deal about the John Wall part, is that, dude, okay, he was Player of the Month, what we mentioned, in December, second time. Last year, in December, he was Player of the Month. Me and you on this podcast talked... In the summer, and and here's the deal. I'm going to let the people know. I am a kind of pundit, or my brand is to tell you when I was wrong, and I was wrong in the sense that me and you discussed that John Wall would not come back from injury till probably December. And here he is, winning NBA Player of the Month in the Eastern Conference in December, and he is putting up career numbers. Incredible. In December, he averaged 24 a game, 10 assists, uh, two steals. He's the only player in the NBA to average 23-10-4-2. Just your thoughts on John Wall, because I could go off on a whole hour of John Wall before we go. I know I've, I'm over time here, but we have to discuss John Wall because it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know where this team would be without him, but also he's putting up arguably, and I thought about writing this, which Kyle would be excited because I would actually write something for the site, because that's why he won't come on the podcast, supposedly, which is a bunch of bullshit, because he's not listening to this anyway, is that he's probably one of the best fucking seasons in franchise history. I mean, this is the best season since Gilbert went off, right? Ten years ago. I can't think, I, and like, he's arguably, him and Gilbert have put up the two best seasons if he goes on this pace in the last 25 years since Quest Reber. I mean, I can't think of another player in this franchise in the last this generation that is putting up the numbers John Wall is, to see him 7th in all-star voting, I know it's fans, lack of TV, national TV exposure, and you can tell me all your reasons what you think, but it is in the sense that, fuck man, like, it's not it's not like he's having a bad season, he literally is having the best season of his career, 
uh, and arguably one of the best seasons we've ever seen as a Wizards fan for one of the players we root for. And the lack of respect that he's getting league-wide is annoying and depressing. But you say the lack of respect. That respect, the players respect him. All, I mean, all you have to do is, is, is do a pregame interview. The players respect him. The coaches respect the hell out of him, almost bordering on fear of what he's going to do. That's not the problem. And I know that it doesn't translate into endorsements and all that, just getting the respect of those, of that particular group of people. But he's respected in the league. He's respected by coaches and assistant coaches and people who have to play against him and prepare against, and prepare for him. But, I mean, let, let's be real. The games aren't on television. They're, they're not on television. He is playing for a team that until very recently just was not doing anything. And so, you know, if the Wizards, if he were having this type of season on the heels of the season he had when Paul Pierce was here and the Wizards were in playoff contention, you would see a different trajectory of his popularity and the way he was looked at nationally but they were up at a certain level and then they went down just had a precipitous fall and so you know he's going to get respect from the people who matter but the seventh i mean when you look at who's who's ahead of him i mean are you really going to be mad at that who's ahead of him is i mean that that's what happens when all the players who are ahead of him are on tv consistently Either they're on TV or they're consistently uh, other perennial all stars, even if they're not necessarily playing at an all star level. So I'm, you know, I can't be mad at that. It, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm not surprised. That's just how it is. But it's early. Rashad, I would never thought, you know, I've, we've documented the John Wall era. We've been we've been here from the beginning. I can go off on like hours and hours of podcasts. I've wrote a shit ton of shit about John Wall. I never thought he would average twenty four a game in the NBA. He's averaging 24 a game, 23 and a half, 2.3 steals, leading the league in steals per game, 10 assists, and he's free throw percentage shooting, which actually makes me more impressed, is up to 82%, Kerr high. And the thing is, I was thinking about the other day when I was going to write something about Joel, and maybe I still will, was like, what's the difference here? Like, he's averaged 18 points a year career. Why is he averaging six points more? Because his three-point numbers, you know, it's, it's similar to he would last year. His, his percentage has dipped a little bit. He's shooting 32%. Last year was 35. Uh, you know, he's shooting about career average from the three-point line. Dude, in the half court, man, he is so much more better in the half court than he's ever been in his career. Like, he gets the rim in an ease. Because we saw this earlier in his career, even when he started finding a lot of success and you know, at this all-star level, he still would struggle. Like, we would be like, it'd be him dribbling around and then take that that elbow jumper fadeaway, right? Dude, he doesn't really take the fadeaway elbow. He takes the, he takes the elbow with confidence, and then he just goes to the rim and has his ability to shake dudes in, in the half court that I've never really seen about his game because I always thought that his improvement would come for his post moves or his floaters, and even Buckhans the other day was was going off about how much he wants his floater to improve, and he still has it a little bit, and he tries to post up here and there, but that's not why the dramatic improvement to me is just his ability to be like, yo, man, nobody can fucking stop me in the half court, well, right? He's, he's shooting a career-high 46, almost 47% from the field, number one. 
Number two, he's getting to the line more than he ever has, and he's shooting 82%, which is also a career high. Yeah. So Yeah, he's going to line six, that, six, yeah, two, more, uh, two more times uh, a game this year than uh, last year, and I still feel like he gets fucked on calls. <laughs> but these are things that Brad Deck, Coach Brooks said in preseason that he wanted both Wall and Bill to, to get to the line more than they ever had before, and they both are. So that alone, is, you know, between that and shooting better than he's ever shot, that is accounting for his his bump in, um, and uh, and in point so, scores. So, Not to so, mention he's so, getting two point three steals a game. Which, I mean, let's just face it: nine times out of ten, when he gets he gets the steal, it's a dunk, right? He's going to score and get to the line because no one can so. no one can catch him. But Rashad, let's go back to he has, he's seventh in NBA in guards. I mean, I think he still has a really good shot of making as reserves, even though the Eastern Conference is loaded at, at his position. What you, we talked about this last year, actually, we had the same topic, and we talked about probably the same things. Where you know, th- two years ago, he was an all-star starter. He was you know, had all these votes, and then he dropped precipitously last year. And then now, I feel like he's dropped even more, even though he's coming. He has all the narrative. I mean, coming off a knee surgery, right? You know, coming off all these things. And he's having career highs all around. Is just a lack of TV exposure. I feel like this also this element of him not having a shoe and him changing agents from Fagan to, to LeBron's guy Rich Paul because he was closer to Nike. He still doesn't have a shoe deal. He gave an interview a couple of days ago in Houston. Said that maybe he'll, he's waiting for the summer for a shoe deal. When I talked to him in August at one of his charity events, he told me that the shoe deal was going to come and blah blah, and it still hasn't hasn't materialized. And I see all these commercials for Kyrie. And Kyrie has 500,000 votes, and John Wall has 70,000. Yeah, but that's because Kyrie's coming off a title. I mean, yeah. I, I, and Kyrie's on TV. Like, I, fans aren't that sophisticated to see who has a shoot in, who doesn't. I think it has everything to do with Cleveland is on. First of all, Cleveland is, it, it just won a title, so that, that doesn't even count. But even Kyle Lowry and Isaiah Thomas. Have been on TV all the time. Like there have been segments on on both NBA TV and TNT where they're all talking about how great Isaiah Thomas is. You just don't see that with John Wall because they're not on TV. The Celtics have been on TV. You know, Toronto has been on TV. Cleveland, of course, is on TV. As has Golden State. Even Portland has been on TV before. So, you know, fans and you know. If fans are like the, the guy who I work with, I mean, they're they're very very superficial and very very surface level. They're not going to dig too deep here. So I'm, again, I'm not surprised. Now, do you think his, his reps have failed marketing wise with him? No, I don't. And he's, I don't, and he's I, made he's made bad decisions when it comes with representation. I feel like he has. I mean, that may be true in isolation, but I don't think that that translates. To, to all sorts of votes. Okay, I'm just giving no, you all sorts of I mean, votes, just but. just look who's ahead of him right now. It's Kyrie Irving, Dwayne Wade, who is getting legacy votes, DeMar DeRozan, who absolutely deserves to be there. For sure. Isaiah Thomas, Derek Rose, legacy votes, Kyle Lowry, who... Deserves to be is, a starter, probably. Deserves to be... <laughs> well, no, I don't... Not this year, but he's, he's up playing there. well in Toronto, and Toronto is on TV, and then John Wall. I mean, who... But I mean, just based on if you put yourself in the mind of a fan, who should he be above? I mean, I've been, if anything, I, say, I, I think Kimball Walker has a bigger beef than Wall 
because Kimball Walker arguably should be right under Kyrie Irving just based on how he's performing. True. I mean, I would say it'd be, it should be, well, Kyrie's tough to say, but I'd say Lowry, Kyrie, Wall, and DeRozan would be the four, I would say, before Wade and, Wade and, uh, uh, who's the other one he said? Rose. Yeah, they don't belong there. So, so, Rashad, we're going to go. I know you got a jam. Thank you so much for joining us. But the last, the last thing you got to give me a couple takes is that, so the other day, all of a sudden, someone shared something on Twitter about Kareem Abdul Jabbar. And to let the people know that you have seen Kareem Abdul, I think you went to New York to, to see him speak. He had a book here in the D.C. area that you went to, I believe, as well. You're a huge fan of, of uh, Lou Alcender, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. If, you know, we could probably have an hour-long conversation about him. And, and I respect it. You know, it's like Kareem, number one. Tony Kornheiser, number two, with you in your life. Randall Cunningham, maybe two or three. And then I know your beautiful wife, Renita, uh, has a podcast uh, and is a big fan of The Bachelor Show. I still want to be on it uh, at some point in the future, and I have a crush on her co-host as well. Uh, and I see this article, and it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the Hollywood Reporter talking about how romance is dead because of the Bachelor show. So I immediately texted or tweeted both of you. I want to know what was the conversations uh, between uh, you, you in your household about this topic because I can feel. There would be some automatic tension of two things that you both love, which were being in conflict. And how did that all shake out? First off, Kareem is my behind my dad. He's my second biggest hero. I read his autobiography when I was eight. Um, I I interviewed him in 2009. I went to see him at a book signing in New York earlier this year. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of him, not just what he did on the court, the most unstoppable move ever, but just the the diversity of his career since he's left basketball. He's coached on an Power, power high, right? Power high? Power, yeah, well, that was before my time. Yeah, yeah. yeah power high. But he's taught. He's, he's written books on history. He's written children's books. Very, very, very diverse career. Now, he wrote an article on... The Bachelor. I don't like the show, um, and so. But at the same time, I take the show for what it is. It is there's just a certain entertainment value, um, and that's how I look at it. Now, Cream is not like me, who is a 41 year old dude who doesn't really think like the people on The Bachelor, but is able to look at it as strictly entertainment and not take any of the shit personally. Cream will be 70 this year and the way he looks at things is is a bit different and his article reflected if i were to sit my dad down and make him watch two article two episodes of the bachelor he would automatically write the same type of shit that kareem just wrote because people that age in the mid-60s they're just they're just wired differently and they don't look at it they're not able to parse it and say okay that's good entertainment they look at it and they see chivalry's the dead. Act. Chivalry's over, right? <laughs> right. They look at the way that people act on The Bachelor, and then they group that with the way they think that people of that age and of that ilk Those damn act. millennials. <laughs> they group it all together, and they come up with these hypotheses about the future is fucked. These millennials are fucked. I'm going to write this article, and so if I 
get out of my state of mind and put myself into a 69-year-old man's state of mind, I totally understand why he wrote the article, even though I don't agree that there's gloom and doom in the dating world. However, as I told my wife, and this didn't cause well, tension. That's, that's, the, t- that's the takes I want. I want to know about your wife. <laughs> so we didn't talk about it initially until tonight when you sent me the schedule for tonight's speech. And I actually, I went through and I read the article again. I was like, you know, you know, I was like, I, I, Rashad, Rashad, I love that. I was the one that was uh, giving potential conflicts in your, in your marriage. I, I appreciate this is another accomplishment here on the pixel world show, but continue. Thank you. If, if I, well, never mind. So, you know, I told her, I said, you may think that this is, this article is BS, but, how many, how many millennials and even some people our age who rely on superficial shit to decide who they're going to date and who they're not going to date via Tinder or other Tinder-related apps where they look at people just strictly on a little picture that they have and swipe no, hell no, or yes. I was like, so there is some element of superficiality involved. And she said, that's bullshit. She said, I'm <laughs> she said I watch it, and I'm not superficial. And I said, but she's the exception. I said, you know damn well that the people on The Bachelor are not your age. They're younger. They are millennials. And so it didn't cause tension because we were getting ready to eat dinner and because uh, this is a a kid-friendly podcast. But there's some things that I'm going to want from my wife in the future that (laughs) staying – Staying on this point would prohibit me from getting, and so I didn't. You know, I, I didn't. I didn't harp on you, it. But you know where your bread is buttered. I know where my bread is buttered. Yes, but at the same time, Kareem is my man, and I, I respect his mind. So I was very, I was, I was very Switzerland on this. Yeah, that, that, is, that is the most Switzerland answer. I, I, I'm going to make your wife listen to that five minutes because I want to keep uh, egging this on. Because I agree with you as well. I just thought it was really funny in the in the, in the world that uh, that I know and respect both of you, and, and also in the sense that, uh, dude, it's also Bumble, Hinge. You swipe right. What the fuck are you talking about, Cream? Out there in this dating world, I'm single. I'm a little older than these people. No one gives a fuck about the Bachelor. What are you talking about? You know, like, come on, bro. Like I pick up the tab. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, you open the door. You know, like come on. You know, like I don't know what you're talking about, bro. Anyway, I I really enjoyed that. Uh, Rashad, thanks for coming on. I know we went over as well, but uh, you're the man, dude. And uh, we'll we have some other issues about the schedule. It don't really matter. The team plays a bunch of other. Uh, they play Minnesota t- tomorrow night at Milwaukee again because they just want to play the fucking Bucks in like th- four times in three weeks because the schedule makes no sense. Chicago at home and at Boston, four games. I don't know. Hopefully two and two, three and one, four and zero. Oh. I don't know. I. Two and two would be a be a good one. Uh, I see maybe one and three. Hopefully not. But Rashad, you're the man, dude. Any parting words for the people? They're gonna lose against Minnesota tomorrow, but they're gonna they're gonna win the other three. And I, I think that everybody should take. They should be encouraged by the fact that Walls at the top of his game, Bill is right there, and Mahimni will be coming back. So by February 1st, this team will be at full strength. And be Do you have any insight the- on Jan coming back? Have you heard anything from anyone? Zero insight. Yeah. I'm just... I'm just... I'm being optimistic here. I love, I, think I, love, by- I love the positive pixels, Rashad. I love ending on a positive note. By February 1st, this team will be at full strength. And 
they, they, they can easily make a run towards that seventh or eighth spot. Uh, dude, fantastic. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, I don't know. Kyle never comes on again and maybe I have some other guests potentially coming and these games happen. Go to truthabout.net, read our stuff. Rashad's killing it. A bunch of other people that write on our site. Adam Rubin's killing it. Troy's killing it. I'm not killing it. But go read the stuff. It's some of the best things, and it's Wizards Independent Media and not some bullshit from uh, Comcast. So uh, thank you all for listening to us ramble on. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Peace and love. And as always, go Wizards. Peace out. Sometimes in